Here we are back again with Travis, my co-host, and today we're going to talk about 10 books that kind of had a big impact on us as we became entrepreneurs, as we quit our jobs, and as we're on this journey. So Travis, what's going on, man? All kinds of good things. You know, I got I got two big updates this week, and the first one is I was just on the Zen Virtual Assistant podcast, and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and I, I just want to do a shout out. Anyone that needs someone to interview on a podcast, I would love to be involved in that. We basically, we talked a lot about about my story. We got into depth about that, how it is starting out. It was weird because it kind of took a negative approach at first in the sense of, you know, it's really hard and then showed how if you put in the work over time, like things pay out. It was a lot of fun doing. How about you? What's your first update? For me, we're going to, I'm going to Bangkok soon. So every year, Dynamite Circle, which you recently joined, uh, we have a meetup every year in Bangkok. This year, there's about 250 or 300 people that are there. So a lot of good friends on the show. Uh, the Manal guys will be speaking. Ben Hebert from Natural Stacks, the Celtep guy that you take, uh, he'll be speaking there. Peter Shankman, uh, the guy from Haro, uh, Derek Sivers. So kind of really cool guys. Maybe we haven't seen in a while, in a year or two, that I'll, I'll catch up and just, you know, see what everyone's up to. So this year is a little different. It used to be we had just presentation tracks only, but this year we have uh, breakout sessions. So there's a couple cool ones like, uh, you know, Facebook targeting, uh, YouTube workshops, and a couple other things. So all very cool stuff run by very cool people. And we'll be in Bangkok for a week from about October 14th to the 21st. And yeah, it's the biggest thing. Very cool. So my next update is I am getting a little restless. I've been taking the last couple weeks pretty easy. I've been taking Spanish lessons. I've been having a good time, but it's time to start working again. I don't. If you haven't noticed, I haven't had a lot of updates on the business itself. So that's going to be changing, hopefully, pretty soon. So you're just taking Spanish lessons and hanging out all day, or like, what is your like, what is your what does your typical day in Argentina look like? I'm really curious. I wake up, go for a walk around, you know, the area I live in. Actually, I've been listening to different business podcasts. Uh, I usually do some meditation, like gratitude type thing. Have some breakfast, go do Spanish classes, go to the gym. I've been getting massages twice a week. They're pretty cheap here, not Thailand cheap, but pretty cheap. Uh, I've been trying to do a lot of social activities, like. I've been going out to dinner with friends or last night I went to a language exchange, which was just a ton of fun. You meet tons of really cool people. And the cool thing about a language exchange, it's at a bar, but the whole point is to meet new people. There's no kind of awkward stigma of, oh, you came here alone or, oh, you're trying to talk to me. So it's, it's an easy excuse to talk to anybody, you know? Yeah, AKA girls, right? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, I'll be honest, it, it's probably about 70% guys and 30% girls and there wasn't that many Argentinian girls, which I was kind of disappointed about, but still, you know, I met a couple. Uh, next update for me. So you sent me a pretty interesting email last week about, you know, why the match final is an opening. And I think uh, we'll reopen this in October. So one thing I kind of got tied down with was that we had three different groups and then we had this Gmail chain that was going back and forth trying to manage everyone. It just became kind of hectic. So like you brought up that you could help run a group or two. And I thought, okay, this, this would make sense because what happened was last time we couldn't figure out all the time zones in the, in the case that we had some European listeners that wanted to be on the call, but it didn't work out with people in the east coast it had to be up at two in the morning so i think with you now in argentina maybe you can take like the east coast guys and then i can do like the european and asia guys that would make more sense so i've been thinking about that a lot i think we'll reopen this in october i just had to hash out some more details i think on the next episode we'll go into kind of how it's going to work uh, some changes that will happen to the calls and how it'll run and uh, obviously you you know that's kind of how i found you through the calls so we can talk about uh, your experience then too uh, for the next episode that sounds great awesome 
I'm going to give you the number one book and I'm going to cringe while you say the title. <laughs> <laughs> the number one book for me, The 4-Hour Workweek. I don't care. I know Terry hates because it always gets brought up. But you know what? Here's the thing. That was the first real book. And I read it. I found it on my own pretty much. It was the first real book that was able to articulate exactly what I was thinking. And I think it's what a lot of people nowadays are thinking. Basically, this whole idea of delaying your retirement sucks. The life that you want to live, this ideal life of moving to South America or Vietnam or whatever, doesn't take millions of dollars. You can do it now. In fact, you can probably do it cheaper than you are living in the United States. It's really just a motivational book, but at the same time, it gives you a little bit of, hey, this can be done. I read this book when it came out in 2007 or 2008. And I thought, oh, yeah, whatever, it's just some online book. And it wasn't until I worked on my other job, I was like, all right, let's revisit this and take it seriously. So I think or two concepts about the book that makes it kind of deceiving is that, A, the title. No one I know works four hours a week now. Like maybe, I don't know, after like five years, ten years, if your business is like really mature, yeah. But like no one I know works four hours a week. And I think second is that he doesn't talk about how he got to his 80K a month as a supplement business. Like he goes into a little bit. The book kind of starts out with, all right, he has this business he hates he has his job like how does he outsource it and i think a lot of people get tied up into thinking that i can just outsource everything and build like this 80k a month business oh without a doubt i i think to me the whole point is work really hard for a year or two and then be able to slowly like outsource things and i can see how it's possible to do the the four hour work week and i mean i'm kind of doing it right now in some ways but i i think the whole point really is what most people do in 40 hours, you can probably do in four. And I found that to be maybe not four, but 10 or whatever, much less. Four is just a nice, cool sounding number. Yeah. And, and let me let me just rephrase that. I don't, I'm not bashing people that only work four hours a week suck. I, I wish I could work four hours a week, but I think it's just kind of missed. There's a misconception when you look at that as like the end goal, I guess, or something like that. I also think that most people don't work four hours a week, not because they can't, but because they want more. You know, let's say someone making hundreds of thousands of dollars off their e-commerce business. Well, they don't really need hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe they only need $80,000. And if they scaled back their work, they could easily survive on four hours a week. So for me personally, it's like, I don't really want to work a ton at this point. And that'll change. As you can already tell, I'm getting restless. But also if you enjoy what you do, why would you want to only work four hours a week, right? Like if you enjoy building businesses, playing music or doing whatever you want to do. Like, why not do more? Yeah, and to me, I guess you're right. The title makes it sound a little bit more deceiving. The, the whole point to me was start a business, get freedom, and then do what you want to do, where you want to do it, when you want to do it. All right, so let's let's leave it at that. I think most people have read it. We don't need to go into more detail. And if you haven't read it, go read it. It'll blow your mind. Okay, so for me, uh, my first book is Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco. So this book, the title is deceiving too because it sounds like some get rich quick type of thing, right? Like it's, it's just like, like you, you get the cover as like a Lamborghini on a road. It just looks completely stupid. But when you read it, it's actually really good because what happens is what four hour work week told you could happen, he actually lays out the equations of uh, building a business that can allow that lifestyle. So he has this equation where you have a business system and a money system. And he has this equation to like calculate taxes into like the monthly revenue you actually need to get to this lifestyle level. And I think also he filters out different business models in this book a lot better. Like I think for our work week, this stuff was kind of gimmicky when it came out. Right? It was like sell French t-shirts with AdWords and, you know, sell 20 shirts. But I think in Millionaire Fast and he actually talks about like, you know, e-commerce, forums, 
B two B like info products, whatever like different types of online, or even like consulting things like that. And he breaks down the different business models and what actually makes something scalable. That's really interesting. I actually now I'm gonna go read this one. I I haven't read it before. How did you find out about this? Uh, just someone in the DC showed me. Like I I would rank it probably like the book to read right after Four Hour Workweek because Four Hour Workweek unlocks your mind onto what's possible, but it doesn't really give you a good roadmap. The roadmaps he gave maybe are a little bit outdated or the concepts aren't really grounded in stone in terms of like, okay, this is what you do, this is what you do next. Like how do you evaluate niche ideas? How do you evaluate business models, things like that? And just getting your head on straight with being like a producer versus consumer and all that type of stuff. And I think this book really sets you on that path to like figure that out. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm gonna go download that book right away then. My next one, and this is a weird one, but it's Double Your Dating by David D'Angelo. His real name's Eben Pagan. And it was the first time I ever downloaded a book that was like going to teach me something. It was the first time I was able, I downloaded a book that taught me something that I did not think you, I could learn, which was how to date, how to meet girls, how to do all this stuff. So it kind of unlocked this whole world to me like, well, wait a minute, if dating this thing that I thought people are just born good or bad at can be learned then can't everything be learned? Can't you learn how to market? Can't you learn how to start a business? So it really opened my eyes to that whole world. And on top of that, you know, it, it made me look at dating differently too. I remember like seeing it in college somewhere and I downloaded it to like a PDF torrent. And I was like, wow, this is actually kind of cool. Like I didn't know something like this existed. Like, it was kind of mind blowing in that way. I don't know if it was the same what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it, it made me look at, okay, well maybe this, the way that dating has been presented to me of like, oh, or buy the girl dinner and buy her flowers and buy all this stuff isn't really how it naturally is supposed to be. Maybe, and I was looking around and I'm like, well, wait a minute, how come all the guys getting all the really cute girls following this be super nice guy type of thing? It, it seems like it's the douchebags that are always getting the girls. And it kind of broke it down for me. And this is also the first book that made me think of, hey, maybe the way that everyone else thinks about things isn't always the right way. Maybe they're a little brainwash sometimes because when you grow up you watch like what was the movie we watched when you grew up? like titanic or romeo and juliet like you have these ingrained images of how things are in the movie and then it kind of projects you project that onto your reality and then i think this book kind of made you realize hey like you know not not just on like a dating perspective but just like on a life perspective that hey there are other ways to think absolutely and, and, the, and the same thing applied not to get back at it, but like the four-hour work week it was like it makes you think about a different Everything, the way that everyone else is doing stuff is not always the correct way to do it, basically. Yeah, and it makes you think about that. Like, if if you could say everything is like a skill set, like double your dating is kind of like, then you can learn new things like marketing or business. Or yeah. Other things too, right? So. Then I started getting involved in like, well, how can I learn things faster? How can I do this better? And it just completely unlocked the fact that there's free information online for anything you want to learn. You can get a better education online for free that you probably can pay for at a university. All right, so uh, next book, Startup School by Seth Godin. So this is actually a podcast, not actually a book, but basically the way it's structured is like a book. So he gave a presentation in 2012 to, I think, 15, 20 people, like completely brand new entrepreneurs, and he walked them through you know, your idea, everything, and like how to get started. And it was so good because even like Dan at Tropical MBA, like we were like, hey, you know, 
if you had to listen to one podcast, listen to this one. Like, don't listen to ours. Listen to like Startup School if you're starting out. It's free on iTunes. Uh, check it out. I think it, it's cool because he summarizes almost everything from his previous books: Permission Marketing, uh, Our Marketers Are Liars, uh, Purple Cow, all that type of stuff. And he drills it down. It's only like ten episodes long, probably like two or three hours. But it's really really good in terms of like you know when you choose a market, uh, it's kind of like like architect, right? You, you could choose to build a house at a beach. Uh, in the city, you know, in the slums, in the suburbs, in the mountains. Right? It's like when you're building a business, you can kind of choose what you want to do. And you can choose how high you want to build it, how low you want to build it, how you know, do you want to have a pool, things like that. And a lot of the analogies he has in that uh, book slash podcast is like really good for people starting out. Too. You know, I listened to that when I was first starting out and I kind of want to go back. I remember really enjoying it, but I don't remember any of the details. So I kind of want to go back and re-listen to it, see what kind of gems I can dig up from it now. Yeah, so a lot of the details that when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's good. It's actually like something from his book. And so I ended up reading some of his older books because like he talks about like the dip, right? So I read that book like two weeks ago. I was like, oh, this is actually really, like now it makes a lot more sense when he talks about it in like blogs or like interviews and stuff like that. Yeah, my next book is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And this is another one of those, it's kind of got like a gimmicky sounding title, but it's an awesome read. I, have you read this book? I've read a little bit of it, but I haven't finished it yet. I know like everyone says it's good, even like Barbara Corcoran and Shark Tank loves it, but it's, I just, I just, it's kind of too woo-woo for me, I think. Really? I, I don't know. Okay. I, I wouldn't say it is like woo-woo. I feel like it takes a lot of things you already kind of know and are thinking, but makes them really solid in your, your mind. And for example, like one of the things it tells a story about how to get people to do other things, don't try to tell them you should do this for me because this will help me get X, Y, and Z. You need to start off the letter or this, whatever the conversation with, all right, well, if you do this, it'll increase this for you and it'll help you do this and blah, blah, blah. One of the big things, it's got a lot of different lessons, but one of the big lessons I learned is you got to think, what does the other person want? out of this situation? How can I spin this so it's a benefit for them? I will say this book actually got me my first job because it taught me a lot of different, like managing techniques, different, all kinds of great stuff that I was able to use in my interview. 100% got me my first job. It's a, it's a great read, something I need to revisit for sure. Yeah. Maybe for me, because I always thought that was intuitive. Like you just kind of knew if you want people to do something, well, they got to think, you got to like rephrase it into their mind. So I was like, oh, like this is like, I guess most people don't know that or not everyone knows that. So maybe that's why I think it's a lot of stuff that's I feel like intuitive, but hearing someone else say it in stories really just makes it stick in your mind. And I will say that a lot of times when I try to get people to do stuff, you know, maybe 60% of the time, 70% of the time, I'd make sure and phrase it in a way that makes sense to them. But every once in a while, I just not even thinking I'm like, Hey, would you mind leaving me a comment on my blog post? It, you know, it really helped me rank out or rank higher up on Google kind of thing or something. Why would someone want to do that? You know, what, what do they care? So there's little things like that. You would say, hey, if you leave a comment, I'll give you a shout out on a yeah, show. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Then there's something for them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think this ties into the book I mentioned earlier, like Millionaire Fastlane, where he says, uh, in, in a different level, he was saying, basically like anything, a transaction in business is basically you change money for value, right? Whether you're buying a McDonald's burger, uh, you have a bicycle, it's raining, you buy an umbrella, like there's value 
that you exchange for when you get money. And I think a lot of people, when they start out, they chase the money, but they don't chase the value. And because it's an exchange, you should be chasing the value, not the money when you start out. And I think there's a mindset that you need to shift because when you kind of work a job, you're used to trading your time for money, right? So you're like, okay, so where's the money? Where do I go with the money? But it's actually like a cat. Like the more you chase it, the more it runs away. But if you chase value, then it just sits in your lap. Yeah, that's like a mindset that I think you have to rewire when you start out. Like, because it's, I think, like, especially, like, if you need money, it's hard to not think about money, I think. And to be, like, hey, you know, like, say, like, the mastermind goes, I can't just say, hey, you know, give me 100 bucks and let's chat. Well, what are you going to get out of the 100 bucks when you chat, right? Like, you talk about your business, we can help you fix this, fix that. You can talk to experienced people. You can share, you know, what's going on, your updates, have someone keep you accountable, motivate you, all this stuff, right? All this value that kind of you have to build into things that you charge people for. So I think, like, starting out is, like, kind of like, oh, it's kind of like seeing the matrix, right? Because when you think about things like this, like the producer versus consumer, like McDonald's makes billions of burgers. They're not the best burgers, but you know people eat them when they're hungry, so they have scale and value in that way too. Just like a little guy that makes, I don't know, Aquafina bottled water, right? It's like there's like value in there too. And when you think about it, how do I produce something of value that people will give me money for? Then that's when I think things start to come together. Yeah, I really felt like this book kind of showed me, hey, get rid of your ego a little bit. Let uh, so one of the things it would say is let other people think it's their idea. Maybe plant that little seed and say, you know, I think we should do this. And then a day or two later, if they say, hey, I have this great idea and it actually is your idea, fine, who cares? Another thing they said is names are extremely important to people. So there's a story of this guy that had a bunch of, I think it was rabbits and he didn't know, like his rabbit just had like a bunch of, you know, baby rabbits kind of thing. And he didn't know how he was going to take care of them. So what he did is he went around the neighborhood and named all the little baby rabbits after all the kids. So all the kids ended up taking care of their rabbit because they didn't want their rabbit to be, you know, underfed or sick or anything. But if you would have just been like, hey, take care of my baby rabbits, these kids don't care. So there's lots of little lessons about, you know, thinking about what the other person wants. And it was a very helpful book. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you take these strategies and you use it on people who don't know this business book or like are into entrepreneurship. Like, so this week, uh, we got invited to like this dinner party at a friend's house, right? She invited all of our roommates, you know, four dudes to go to this tiny apartment that's like a couple miles away to do like a dinner party. And I was like, you know what? We have four dudes here. We're all going to be late. Like, why should we go there? Like, we have a bigger house. Like, I can't just say I'm late. I'm too lazy to go there, right? That's like, that's kind of like a dick. So I was like, hey, you know, we actually have a bigger kitchen here. And we have a big fridge. You know, we have a big dining room table. We can fit like 10, 12 people. We have two floors. We have a balcony. We could even chill out at, get some beers. And like, like, how do you frame it so that it's not, I'm lazy, but that, hey, it's actually a better solution for you and it would be a more enjoy- enjoyable environment for everyone. So yeah, I guess basically example right there. Right? Yeah, I mean, it still works on me. I know all this stuff. Like when I first quit my job, I was going to start a business with a friend of mine and I was really hesitant. And he's like, all right, you know, we need to, we need a name for the LLC. Let's call it Marziani LLC or Marziani Media LLC. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in, let's do this. And I knew exactly yeah, that's my last name. So I'm like, that sounds really cool. I'm in. Let's, and if you would have said, you know, let's call it any, anything else in the world, I would have been like, I don't know. I'm kind of iffy on it. But as soon as it's my name, it's like, oh, I feel special. All right. Yeah. So my next book is Zero to One by Peter Thiel. This just came out two weeks ago, a week ago. So Peter Thiel was one of the co-founders of PayPal. And uh, he's like a VC now. I think he was like the first investor in Facebook. And he had this book just come out uh, where it was basically notes from a class he did at Stanford. And some guy, a student, took notes and he put on his blog and they turned all these blog posts into this book. And basically, it's called Zero to One because... Um, so there's actually two concepts in the book. One is called Zero to One and the one is 
The other one is called one to n, right? So basically, he divides that framework into saying zero to one is innovating new things, right? Like the internet, uh, the steam engine, uh, the telephone, the television, things like that. And one to n is globalization. So basically, you make things more efficient, uh, like say the Wright brothers invented the airplane, but you keep improving that into you know a bigger company, you spread around the world, that's one to n. And he's saying basically history is divided into periods where you have zero to one in one to n. So basically, if you look at pre-World War One, uh, you had like the steam engine, the Wright brothers had the airplane, that was like a zero to one phase, right? And then kind of World War One to like, kind of I guess the 70s was like a one to n where you had these corporations, multinationals really globalizing the whole field. And then kind of from like 2000 to now, you're kind of entering a zero to one phase or you have like Facebook, new companies that are built on top of these new platforms. And he's saying that, you know, from here we are now in 2014, uh, moving forward, really the opportunity is in zero to one, uh, not being one to n because competition's high. Uh, you really want to be in a monopoly business where you dominate everyone. And he's saying how, in classical economics, like a monopoly is quote bad, right? And you want like perfect competition, but in a perfect competition, no one makes any money. So a lot of the counterintuitive stuff that I think people take for granted, he counters them in this book that, that makes it a really good read. Yeah, I haven't checked out this book either. And I know you were really excited about this book. This is actually kind of what this book's what started this whole idea of let's talk about our favorite books. It's definitely a book I'll check out. And the way he phrases ideas is so potent. Like the way he captures the 90s tech bubbles and the implications of that is really, really good. It's like a super smart VC guy. And like the way they, because th they're always thinking about things that are like 20, 30 years down the road, right? So the level they're operating at is so, di so different than us. That's always interesting to see like, all right, so if he thinks this way, like how can I think of this way in my own industry and the things that we do too? So for your average entrepreneur out there, do you recommend this book as like inspiration or kind of just ideas or? I think it's a good way to think about like long-term goals in, in a sense, uh, like positioning yourself and kind of sizing up markets over like, you know, five, 10 years. Like say, you know, obviously starting out, this probably isn't as applicable, but I think just having that mindset of being able to frame ideas, think about the future and connect the dots between different things is probably one of the biggest things that I took away from this. Very cool, I'm gonna check that book out now. So the next one is, and I, I couldn't narrow it down, but basically anything and everything by Malcolm Gladwell. I, I really like the way that he takes things he also does this where he takes things that are kind of common sense that people think, oh, well, this is why things happen this way and says, no, maybe maybe you think it was because of this, but it was actually a different thing. For instance, there's a decrease in, in the crime rate in New York. And he says, people thought, okay, well, it's obviously because uh, the police were harder on crime and this and this. And, you know, that might be true, but it also could have been, well, about 17, 18 years before that, abortions were... Be, uh, legalized. So it's like people that, you know, didn't want to have kids didn't have to. And so he kind of looks at everything with through a different lens. And one of the books that I recently read of his that was really good was I believe it was called David and Goliath, where he, he relooks at the David and Goliath story. The whole point of it is David should have won. You know, here's this guy that thought this huge guy that thought there's going to be hand to hand combat who can't really see properly. And he goes into why this is Goliath is over there and slings him from, you know, 100 yards away. Goliath had no chance. You know, David's this guy that is used to saving his sheep from wolves. So he has to hit wolves with his slingshot as they're running around. So he's pretty good at this thing. He, if he can kill a wolf with a, a slingshot thing, he can, he can kill a giant that's just standing there. But it, it goes into how being the little guy sometimes is a huge advantage. And I think this is true in entrepreneurship 
100% right now online. The things I'm doing with my business, big businesses are too big to even think about doing. They can't imagine, oh yeah, maybe we should have a blog where we interview a bunch of you know random dance studios because they're too busy saying, we have $100,000 to spend on advertising this month. Maybe we should do TV ads or whatever. So being the little guy, comes with a lot of advantages. Make sure you realize what those advantages are. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because a lot of us know how important blogs are or just creating content. And I saw this article just like an hour ago, how NPR uh, is closing down one of the blogs, I guess, for their authors now because they say they need to cut costs. But it's like, obviously, they just don't understand NPR. They're a nonprofit that does radio. Like they're coming from like they're from the dinosaur age. Pretty much. So I was like, I don't expect them to know this stuff. But it, but like you said, though, like as a solo entrepreneur or a small organization, you do have a lot more flexibility. You can act faster. It's like you're, you're a little sailboat, right? You can like turn here and there, uh, turn around, do whatever. Whereas like a huge battleship, you need to like, you know, pull the anchor up, do all this stuff. And it takes like, what, 30 minutes to like turn the boat around or I don't even know how it works. You know, it, it reminds me of another story from David Goliath. He, he talks about they compared wars that happen or battles that happen where one side outnumbered the other side 10 to one. So, you know, if there was a thousand people on one side, there's 10,000 people on the other side. And as you would expect, I think it was like only 20% of the time or a very small percentage of the time did the little guy win. But here's the twist. When the little guy used guerrilla warfare or unstandard tactics, the little guy won 60% of the time. So that basically means that if us the United States and Canada went to war and Canada's about a tenth the size army as we are and Canada decided we're going to use unconventional warfare, you should put your money on Canada. And I think this reigns true with, I mean, business and your competitors really is a kind of war. So if you try to do the same thing, your competitors that are 10 times the size that you are doing, you're going to lose. But if you think, hey, what are they not doing? What can I do? And maybe that could be, you know, guest blog posting or going on different podcasts or whatever you want to do. That's how you're going to win. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talked about this in one of his books. I forgot which one it was. I think it was Thank You Economy or one of the, like, like his stuff. I, I like it, but I don't read all his books because it gets kind of repetitive. But basically, he's saying it's becoming like a tribal old school 1920s way where you knew your neighbor, you know, you would talk to your neighbor, the neighbor would tell his neighbor. And basically because the internet has broken down all the barriers, like you're no longer insulated between people, right? Like there's a guy that sold steak in like Omaha or like somewhere in the Midwest and he was able to do two day delivery with all his steaks. Basically he expanded his distribution network instantly nationwide, right? Without going to a warehouse, to Walmart, signing these crazy deals and having this huge operation. He could just do it from his house. You know, he has his butcher shop and he could just send whatever orders come in, right? So it's kind of interesting how not just on a distribution scale, but on like, you know, interacting with people, things like that. Uh, it's kind of the barriers are broken down. All right. So the next book for me is The Psychology of Selling by Brian Tracy. So this was actually a presentation he gave, I think in like 1992 or 1989. It was like a really, really old school presentation. But basically he breaks down a lot of the like sales mindsets. Like I think a lot of us starting out, at least for me, like the word sales had this kind of negative connotation, like you're a car salesman, you're this slimy guy. But even, but but this book broke it down in the sense that it's actually a really noble profession if you're adding value. Like if you're like scamming people with like weight loss pills, yeah, yeah, you're a sleazy salesperson. But when you're actually helping out people's lives, like, you know, say what we're doing with this podcast or, you know, your dance clothes, like, like you know, your clothes are actually good, you're high quality, people like them and they're different than what's out there on the market. And I think unlocking that mindset, starting out in your head, 
uh, it's kind of hard, especially when you're used to a job, just doing what you're told, checking the boxes. And when you change from that mindset into a place where you have to sell your own products, your business, uh, things like that, like, like it's kind of a shift you have to make. And I think this book really helps you make that shift and recognize that, hey, you know, selling is about helping people. It's not about you. Uh, anytime the spotlight's on you, you're not selling. You have to put the spotlight on the person, on the customer. And, you know, asking questions is selling, not talking about you. Uh, kind of these kind of real basic things that I guess experienced salespeople know, but, you know, just starting out that you need someone to show you. Yeah, I think that it's really important to be able to express. It's not necessarily always just about selling, quote unquote. It's about being able to express in a good way why your product is awesome and why it would help someone out. I mean, I've seen people that have, um, I think tech people are, are famous for this, where they have something that's really cool and can change the world, but they can't properly express like what this could do for other people. You know, like, well, there's this data thing that blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, 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 what does it do? Like, how can it help me? And I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, and it's like, and there's the better mousetrap theory too, right? Where if you build something better, people buy it. But does McDonald's make the best hamburger? No, but they still sell millions a day. Yeah. So would you recommend this book for people starting out or anybody? Once you have an idea and you need to figure out how to get customers or how to frame your, or just unlocking that kind of those limiting beliefs in your head, like, oh, I'm not a good salesperson, I can't sell. Like this is the book, this is like the presentation you should start with. Is this a book that would help someone too that's just, you know, a normal person in a corporate job or not really worth a read for them? Yes, yes, certainly. So he actually made this for, I think, door-to-door salesmen in some ways, but there's a lot of like tactical stuff. Like if you're going into someone's house negotiating, like you're selling vacuum cleaners, uh, you don't want to sit. Well, first, families don't do business in the living room. They do it at the kitchen table. But when you're at the kitchen table, you don't want to just sit in any table. You don't know if like the mom usually sits here, the dad usually sit there. And if you sit in the mom's seat, well, then you're at a weird dynamic talking to the family. Right? So there's kind of these little things that he talks about and like sitting, like what angle to sit at, body language, things like that. Like they're kind of more tactical. But I think on a high level, it really unlocks the kind of limiting or kind of conventional beliefs you have about selling that you kind of grew up with. That's what I've, I find with a lot of these books that I think, oh, well, this won't help me because I'm not a salesperson, but it's it's not always true. Sometimes it'll help you convince your friends that you should go to a different restaurant or, you know, like you said, hey, we should come over to my place for dinner tonight instead of going to yours. There's a lot of small little hidden benefits to reading these quote unquote self-help books. Yeah, all right, and your next book? I gotta go with another classic, Think and Grow Rich. This was, Another one of those books that kind of unlocked my mind to like look at the world in a slightly different way. And there's a couple different premises in this book. This is actually another one of those books that has lots of stories that are somewhat common sense. And I think as humans, we need a story sometimes to solidify something in our brain, to solidify why an idea is actually good. And for instance, one of the stories it talks about is how this guy Uh, is digging for gold and digging for gold and like finally kind of, you know, gives up because, you know, he can't figure it out. Someone else comes along, buys the property from him, hires an expert to say, hey, is there gold here? And yeah, it turns out three feet away from where he stopped digging, literally three, if you would have dug three feet more, there was a giant gold vein there. The lesson from that is don't quit until you've like consulted an expert. And he went on, this guy went on to be a multimillionaire selling using that tactic. Like he wouldn't take no for as an answer until it was absolutely, all right, that person's 100% done, like doesn't want to buy. 
And I'm a big fan of this idea of the the subconscious or the unconscious and not in like this woo woo kind of crazy way. But if you have, and they use the word burning desire a lot, but if you really, really want something and that's like all you can think about, you're going to figure out a way to get there. So the goal is kind of to instill in yourself this burning desire to get what you want. I read this book. I read like three chapters and I was like, okay, this book is like, I can't handle this book. <laughs> I loved it. You know, I think, but I know some people really like it though. Like you're not the only one that I've heard that really like, I saw it in the four hour work week. Like there's this one chapter. He has like a bunch of books you should read. And I just bought like the top 10 and this was one of them. And I was like, oh, this is such a disappointment. I definitely recommend it. This is a classic. This is on a lot of really, uh, well off, like a lot of successful people's top list. And I think it just, it, it is also one of those books that I think the first time I read it, it didn't click with me quite as much, but then like, as I'm going along, I kind of had realizations like, oh, you know, maybe there's something to this book. And I go back and I read it and I'm like, oh, okay. And I think it's one of those books that with time, you kind of grow to like a lot more. So who do you think this book is for? Then? Anybody that wants to do something big with their life. I mean, if your goal is to just, you know, have a family and live on a, in a small house and work a corporate job for the rest of your life, eh, probably not for you. So the basis of this is here's a guy that went around and I believe it was he interviewed the top 500 most successful people and tried to figure out what they all have in common. To me, that's just awesome. So you're going around and you're talking to all these extremely successful people and you're going to say, Hey, what do they all have in common? And so he kind of broke it down into, you know, if you have this quality and this quality and this quality, you will be able to become successful because truly anything is a skill that's attainable, including being successful. So I think this book's for anyone that wants to be successful, basically. So he, Napoleon Hill, the guy that wrote this, he's actually the guy that came up with the concept of the mastermind. Now, if you know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it's actually, yeah, it's his idea. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, there's another great example. Like I remember when I first read it, I was like, oh, I can't wait to join a mastermind. And your mastermind was the first one I joined. And it was just, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And it's true. It's like you, you surround yourself with, I think you also kind of started the framework of surrounding yourself with successful people that have, are very like-minded. Yeah. And it's the fact that 20 years ago, well, how'd you find them? You go to your local club salon or like one of these roasting things and meet guys at the country club. Like, but now with the internet, you say, hey, here we are, man. Let's hang out. Like, boom, find my website, go to the mailing list. Let's do some calls. And like, there you go. Right. So I guess my last book, uh, Seven Days Startup by Dan Norris. So this actually just came out this will be coming out next week. He gave me a quick preview today and I finished it in like two hours. Really, really good book. I think I talked about him a little bit. He's been on the show before. Uh, he started this platform analytics dashboard called Informally. It didn't work out well. Uh, he was losing like, I think 1500 a month. And eventually he started this company called WP Curve, which is uh, kind of like a WordPress support site, uh, unlimited changes 24 seven for like 60 bucks a month. And he was saying within seven days, he made the same amount of sales as he did one year with his old startup. And I think this one, in this book, he really distills about just getting your idea on the ground and validating it and getting customers. And one interesting content was that he was saying, look, just because you validated something doesn't mean it could become a good business. Like there's, there's a difference between getting your first 20 customers and making this something that can operate without you. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't really touch upon because most people think, hey, you have this idea, how do you get your first 10 customers, right? But then is this even the right path to build something sustainable that can give you a lifestyle that can become a long-term asset later in the book? Like, you know, what are you working on today that will make you indestructible tomorrow? Like indestructible in the sense that 
you know, your business model is scalable. People can follow you. You're building some real asset. And he even has like frameworks in there on like choosing a name, evaluating business models, not just, it shouldn't be how do you pick a niche? It should be how do you pick the right business model that fits your framework and your skill set? It's actually the bigger picture you should figure out first. So, so when we say last episode, like the confirmation bias thing, yeah, e-commerce is what we do, but it's not always the right thing for everyone. Maybe you're a good writer, you should do copywriting, things like that. And I think he starts out from a very high level there. For anyone that's a first-time entrepreneur, I think that's a great book to start out with. Okay, so this book isn't necessarily about e-commerce or any specific, it's just about how to do any kind of startup or? Yeah, it's just how do you launch your idea in seven days and make sure it's something sustainable that can build you can build into a long-term business asset. Cool. When does the book come out? Uh, next Monday, I can just send you the PDF, but. Okay. Um, download that he doesn't want me to send it to everyone but it's really good though yeah i'll check that out that sounds awesome you got all these books i haven't read yet you know i'm, I'm interested to try them out yeah so, so this book i would prioritize it if you read four hour work week millionaire fast lane startup school i would read this probably after that like the third one because i think this this book really gives you a good framework on a choosing business models and choosing a business name and just getting all the like self-help, personal development, all that crap out of the way. It's just like, how do you get an idea, seven days, get your first paying customers and see what happens? Because I think he really talked about was that when he built his analytics platform, people would say like, oh, this is a great idea. You know, it's a great business. Like he was even on This Week in Startups, like Jason Calacanis was like, hey, this is a great business. And he says he sent him a login, but he never did. So it's like these things like, well, well, people don't know what they won't pay for until you ask them to pay with their wallet. That's So would it be helpful to someone like me who already has a business, isn't planning on starting anything up or... Is it more for someone that's just gonna start something up soon? Uh, probably for someone just starting out something soon. But even like when I read it, it made me rethink like the long-term things I'm doing here and things like that. So I think it's still useful. Like, it's a really quick read. It's only like 160 pages. You, you'll finish it like really quick. I got a lot of reading to do. Yeah, all right. So, so we got a lot of reading to do. I guess we should call this for now. Uh, next week, I guess we'll talk a little bit about more about the uh, reopening of the mastermind. And I guess uh, that's it for now. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.